Good morning. Welcome to Velocity LSAT. I'm Dave Hall here again with Melissa Miller, the talented, intelligent, and yet untutored at LSAT. Hi, Melissa. Hi. Um, we didn't talk about this in the first podcast, I don't think, or we talked about it maybe only obliquely, but there are really two reasons that I've asked you to do this podcast with me. And the first is because you're funny, which nobody knows because I spent the whole time talking last time. Um, and maybe eventually I'll let you get a word in edgewise and then people will find <laughs> out. Um, but second, because you are a very intelligent and capable person, and yet you don't know anything about the LSAT. You know, for as long as, you, as we've been working together and you've been doing this stuff, you've never actually cracked open an <laughs> LSAT book. <laughs> um, and, and there are probably, no, not probably, there are certainly a lot of people who are very much like you. They're smart, they're capable, but they don't know anything about this test. And I think you can provide a really useful voice for those people. And so, you want to do some LSAT? Okay. <laughs> Her voice said okay. Her face said please anything else in the world. Why? All right. We are continuing in prep test 29, section 1, with question number 5. Um <clears throat> And we begin again by reading the question, which is the following is an assumption on which Barnes' argument depends. This tells me that this is asking for, there are two words that we maybe need to define here. The first is uh, depends, which is not just for astronauts driving cross-country to kill their boyfriends. It has a particular meaning that isn't actually that unusual, but like we seem to have lost it. Um, you know, if something is necessary, that means just simply that, that the argument depends on having this extra piece of information, that it needs it, that it can't live without it. All right, so that's what it means for the answer, that it has to be something. We have been explicitly asked for something that the argument needs. And the other word is the word assumption, and that is by its definition something that the argument doesn't say. So it's some piece of evidence, it's some piece of data, some fact that the argument doesn't say, and yet the argument depends on. Something the argument doesn't have, but it needs to have. And that's what the answer to this question is going to be. Okay. It's a gap. I think of it like if we were trying to do math, and I said, so I've got a 2 and I've got a 3, and 2 plus 3 equals 11. And I don't know how good you are at math, but that's not true. That's bad math. Mm -hmm. Two plus three is only five. If I want to get to 11, I'm going to need six more. Well, here's the thing. If you give me a six, I get all the way to 11. I mean, that fixes all the problems with my bad mathematical argument. Two plus three, and then you give me a six, I get to 11. Yes, it fixes it. It's enough to fix everything. But in order to get to that 11, I need every part of that six. And there's a lot of different ways you could give me that six. You could say, you know, I present two plus three, and then you say, and another two, and another three, and also a one, right? Or you could say, and also I'll add a one, and then another one, and then another one, and then another one, and another one, and I'm counting on my fingers, one more one, and we get to 11. And, I, and it doesn't really matter exactly how you present it. What matters is that we get all of that six, and, this, and the other part that's important is that every single part of that missing six is necessary 
Like if you tried to split it up by saying, I've got, I, I say, I've got two and three, and you say, and I'll add another two and another three, and I'll raise you a one. Okay, that will get me to 11, but I have to have all three of those pieces that you add. I have to have that extra one. Now, does that one by itself get me to 11? No, two plus three that I have plus your one only gets me like halfway there. Slightly more than half for you math fans. Um, does that mean that that extra one is not needed? No, right? I mean, no. I, if I'm going to get there, I need every bit of it. Uh, does that seem sensible and clear? Totally sensible. Yeah? Thank you. All right. Um, so let's then take a moment and we'll read this argument and then we will talk about what it is missing and does not have. I'll summarize the argument quickly before we continue. Uh, Barnes is saying that there's these two new employees of the company and they're new, but their salaries are too high for the easy peasy jobs that normally get assigned to new employees. And their duties, <coughs> their duties, are too complex for inexperienced workers. So their salaries are too high for normal newbies. Their, their duties are too complex for inexperienced workers. So their salaries and the complexity of their duties should be reduced. And I don't know, it may seem like a compelling argument, um, especially if you're not initiated. Do you see any problem with this argument when you're looking at it? And this is a safe space. <laughs> it's okay for you to just say, no, I don't know. Do you allow com uh, comments in the podcast sections of your... Yes. Okay, that's my concern. I guess my thoughts are you know it being entry level are they being tested out are we seeing how they're doing is it just with starting pay for everyone i don't know yeah i mean okay. it may help it may help to think that every time you're asked this question i mean just the fact that you're asked it means that there's something wrong with the argument mm -hmm. and so even if it like seems compelling like it seems reasonable mm-hmm that don't mean shit. We don't care about what's reasonable or, or, or maybe or what kind of seems right. What we care about is what we can prove. And notice what we've been told here, that we've got these two new employees. Do we know anything about these new employees? No. Like, we don't know their background. We don't know their skill set. We don't know where they came from, what they're going to do, what they've been hired to do. We just know that they are two new employees. Mm -hmm. And we know that they have high salaries, and we know that they have difficult jobs. Mm -hmm. Now, the normal... And, and then everything else about the argument is based on the normal new employee. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, their, ha their salaries are too high for the normal new employee. Oh, is it also, I mean, he's yeah. he's assuming that they're inexperienced workers, so is that something worth thinking about? Why are you assuming that Barnes is a he? That's a little sexist. That's the world I've been brought into, my friend. All right. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, she. Thank you. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. What were you going to say? When my charges of sexism have taken all the wind out of you your sails. Uh, no, I just, my thought was that the assumption is that they're inexperienced. Like, he doesn't know anything about their 
Exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay. Which I didn't think about. When I right. It. And and that's the thing. You know, I mean, that's why we're doing that. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you didn't think about it at first. And this is how we're going to learn to think about it every single time. And the way that I'd phrase it is, why does this evidence not prove this conclusion? Because we know that's the case. The evidence doesn't. Um, the uh, So, yeah, the, the salaries are too high for the normal employee. The duties are too complex for the normal employee. Who said these people are the normal employees? You know, maybe the two new hires are a brand new CEO and CFO. Maybe there's been an ouster at the top. Mm -hmm. And of course then their salaries would be higher. And of course their duties would be more complex than the average new employee. And that's the problem with the whole deal. We've been given no evidence at all about these new hires. We've been given evidence instead about the average new employee. And this is what I refer to as a bait and switch. We bait the hook with this evidence about the average new hire. And then we switch at the end to a conclusion about these specific new hires. What does the average new hire have to do with these two? Nothing. And you can hear that my voice is getting higher, which means I must be getting more right. Um, (laughs) So there's a missing piece of evidence here, Mm -hmm. you know, and that missing piece is that these two new hires are like the average new hire. All right, so you're looking at answer choices now. Um, anything that sticks out at you? Well, if I'm looking for something that says they are like the average new hire. Uh-huh. All right, so I'm not going to talk to you about these stupid answer choices <laughs> because okay. I'm going to admit that I think that I'm not even reading his argument clearly. Okay. Okay. So, like, I'm reading it. This is how I'm reading it: that there are two new employees. Mm-hmm. The two newest employees have high salaries. Yeah. And that their salaries are too high, given that their tasks are simple. Okay. Okay. But so then, thing it's one. Like, okay. Can I just pause? And, okay. Thing I suppose one. it's your podcast, <laughs> and we live in a patriarchy. All right. <laughs> Let's break the patriarchy. Why don't you continue, please? <laughs> no. No. All right. Uh, Then with your permission, thing one is that uh, their salaries are too high for, as you said, their simple tasks. Correct? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. We'll hold on to that idea. And then, yeah, that sounds refreshing. Are you drinking something? That makes for good listening. (laughs) They're going to enjoy that. All right. (laughs) Go on. Okay, but then the part that I that I'm losing it is that, that but their duties are too complex for an experienced worker. So, is, are they doing something simple or are they doing something complex? Am I being simple? Because I can't. Or are you being understand. complex? Simply complex. Um, but that's the thing is that in the in the first part that their their salaries too high for their simple duties. We don't know that they have simple duties. Okay. We don't know what their duties are. Their salaries are too high for the simple duties normally assigned to people. And in the second part, their jobs, they're too complicated for the normal inexperienced new hire. Okay. Okay. But we don't know that they're the normal inexperienced new hire. Okay. So what we actually know, and this is interesting because um, I don't know that I've ever necessarily walked through this argument quite as thoroughly. Um, You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Because really what it's telling us is that they have high salaries 
and complex duties. Yeah, which seems like then which seems totally <laughs> just appropriate. Yeah. yeah. So it really may be, you know, and, and now we're coming back to where we were before that that we have okay. just assumed that these people are like the average new hire, you know. And if you told me that that these two new new hires were just the average total newbie, then yeah, their salaries are too high and their jobs are too complicated. We should give them simpler jobs and lower salaries. And that's what Barnes is saying. But you see what Barnes is missing, that crucial middle component that these two are, like the Mm -hmm. average. All right, so with that in mind, now is it okay to look at answer choices? Yeah, okay. Or we could talk about it. No, I got this. Okay. But now if I know the answer, should we? Okay. So I don't like A anymore. Yeah. Right, because, I mean, in order to argue that we should lower their salaries, we don't have to know that they've got the most complicated duties. Mm-hmm. You know, that they're not any less complex than anybody else in the company. That's just so aggressive. Okay. And that's pretty typical, by the way, that um, you got a bad answer choice that says too much. Mm-hmm. Like, we needed, to go back to the math, we needed, we needed three and we needed two and we needed one or whatever permutation we needed to get to six and you get an answer choice that says 18 we don't okay. need 18 okay excuse me uh compelling right. stuff right now i can tell you're on the edge of your seat <laughs> Sorry. and i will take the credit for that b it is because of the complexes okay <clears throat> so i don't like b either right because we're talking about um so we're saying oh these duties are complex and so they yeah. should be paid more and, and then so that just really doesn't have anything to, to right. do with it. And one way to shortcut that whole that whole rationale against a B is to really keep at the front of your mind what it is that we want. Okay. So that when you look at something like B that just doesn't say what you wanted it to say, and and maybe and honestly for me most of the time I don't even know what B means. Right. The answer choice that doesn't say what I wanted. Like, I'm not even hardly reading it. I'm just skipping past it Mm -hmm. because I am looking for something. I'm looking for the answer that says what I want. I want an answer that says these mofos are like the average new hire. And B, whatever B says or means, it doesn't say that. Mm -hmm. And because I'm doing that, I'm more efficient. Like, I'm faster, Mm -hmm. you know, because I don't have to read a bunch of stuff. Now, like, and you were about to say something, but I want one more. One more thing real fast. Um, you know, there are plenty of times, especially later in the section as the questions get harder, when I will, like, read through five answer choices and none of them seem to say what I thought the answer should be. And in that case, then I do have to do some close reading and, you know, maybe broaden my horizons a bit. But not yet. Not okay. now. Not the first pass. All right. Well, I like C. The two newest employees are not experienced at their occupation. That yeah. would make his assumption. That's that would, yeah, right. That works. The, the whole thing that we assume that they are like the average, mm-hmm. you know, and the average new hire, according to Barnes, is, is inexperienced. We have assumed that these two people are inexperienced, and I'll make a note of that too. Here we have the right answer, and our answer to the question, the thing we know that this argument has assumed, the thing that it has left out but needs, is the crucial bit of evidence that these people are like the others. They are like the others. And what I expect from the test writers is to not tell me that in plain English, but instead use this awkward not construction. If I need to know that they are like the others, I expect the test writers to say they are not unlike the others. 
I want to know here that they are inexperienced. The test writers will say they are not experienced. Mm. Super so just common. always look for the knots. I am really <laughs> totally, absolutely certain, yes, that you should always be on the lookout for this sort of awkward knot construction for the answer to the necessary assumption question. Hmm. Sensible? By the way, I mean, you can see from answer choice um, A, for example, and D, that this is a common construction, not just among right answers, but also, you know, you can see it in wrong answers, too. So the fact that it has an awkward knot doesn't necessarily mean it's right, but it might mean that it is a good place to start. So I was thinking <laughs> right. that uh, I haven't read critically in since college. Which was not that long ago for you, right? Oh, God. <laughs> well, which time going back? But um, yeah, like I think, uh, you know, I just kind of, I kind of read it and go, oh, cool. And then you ask me a question and it's, it's, I have to like really stop and think. And I, I think that, you know, I read fiction, even my nonfiction, I don't think too hard about because they've given me everything. Right, which is problematic because they've given you everything they need to support their position. Yeah. And if you're not reading critically, then... You may just be getting suckered, right? Such a sucker. Well, my nonfiction is usually history related. Yeah. So I feel like I have a better understanding. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Because of my background. Unless they're just lying to you. You mean... Oh, no. But now, thanks to this enterprise. No. Else at Kung Fu, changing lives. Ding! That was the sound of my teeth gleaming as I smiled. Um, <laughs> no? No? <laughs> I got that. Uh... All right, so we are going to read critically with question number six. Super critically. And we'll start again with the question, uh, what can be properly concluded from the passage? What do you think that means? Noob. So we're going to look at this information. Is noob yeah. a, a, a derogatory term? Is it a pejorative? Ask I think it just means my we need to ask it. <laughs> ask a 10-year-old. All right. Uh, which of the following can be properly concluded? So... Based on the information, which one of these five things can, which one of them can we say is true? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. You nailed it in one. That's Boom. it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what can be properly concluded doesn't mean like what the author of the passage may have concluded. You know, mm -hmm. she probably didn't conclude anything. You're probably going to find it's just like a laundry list of facts. Mm -hmm. um, but even in as much as she may have concluded anything, we don't care about that. What we really care about is which one of these five answer choices could properly follow from what we've read and that means what is proved what must be true all right so we got a passage and uh you know we don't get a lot of, this is by the way my absolutely my least favorite question in the whole test mm -hmm. this is what i call an inference question i love inference questions inference questions are great but here we've got an inference question and we don't have we don't have a real strong connective tissue. I, I guess this is not my total least favorite because there are worse than this. I mean, there are inference passages that really do, like, like the, I mean, look at how long question seven is on the page. There are inference questions that are that long, the passages. And then you just ask what you can prove and, and they have no seeming tissue to connect them at all. Um, with number six, I think we get a little bit. Um, and again, for those of you working without books, here's what we've got. Uh, you know, drug companies, doctors are, everybody's focused on cholesterol. And 
we do get this proportion, right, in the second sentence. The more cholesterol we have, the higher our risk of dying from a heart attack. And when we're asked, as we are here, what we can prove, we're going to pay particular close attention to that kind of um, language. You know, because if that's true, that's a, that's a strong statement. The more cholesterol we have, the higher our risk. That means if I have, I don't even how, how you, I don't know how you measure cholesterol, but let's say I have 100 cholesterol units in my body and you have 101, then you have a higher risk, you know, of developing heart disease. Mm -hmm. And that kind of framework, in this case, the proportion, you know, gives us a scale, right? And at any point along that scale, we can say, this person had a higher number of cholesterol points, so she's more likely to die of heart disease. This person had a lower number, so he's less likely to die of heart disease. That's language that I'm going to coin a term, and I'm going to call it load-bearing language because mm. it's aggressive enough it's strong enough uh, to bear the burden of proof and so when we've been asked as we have here what can be properly included what we can infer what must be true the answer is going to come out of that language because that's what allows us to prove something the more cholesterol you have the higher your level of or the higher your risk of heart disease um, or dying of a heart attack um, all right this issue is pertinent because heart what disease what is the issue? Uh, I believe I said. What? Okay. You have a question about that? Was I not clear? Did I stutter? Um, the, the issue is per, 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 pertinent. Because uh, heart disease is a killer more than any other single cause. And then finally, at least three factors, smoking, drinking, exercise, can each influence levels of cholesterol. So we get some load-bearing language. Mm-hmm. The proportion, more cholesterol, more heart disease. We get some more load-bearing language. Uh, heart disease kills more than any other single cause. Okay. And then we get this, what seems like it might even be throwaway at the end, that there are, you know, sort of behavioral factors. So you're smoking, the amount you drink, the amount you work out, that influence your cholesterol levels. Mm -hmm. And there I do see a little bit connective of that connective tissue that I was talking about because I can add up at least two pieces in this argument the last sentence smoking drinking exercise affects how much cholesterol and the second sentence the more cholesterol the higher risk of heart disease so I I can't quite reach any kind of big conclusion because I don't know in what way smoking drinking and exercise affect the level of cholesterol mm-hmm like, I might suppose that smoking and drinking raise the cholesterol and exercise lowers it, but I don't know that. I might be overjoyed to find that smoking and drinking actually lower your cholesterol, in which case I need to make right some up. significant changes. Yeah. Um, and that's important because I really don't know how they affect it. I only know that they affect it. That's funny because I just made an assumption. Smoking and drinking raise it, exercise lowers it. Right. I just went with that. Right. Because oh. it's natural. And the test writers know that you want to make those natural connections. It's because you're a human being. I mean, we have to make those connections or mm -hmm. we, you know, we step out on the, out in the street in front of a bus. And I mean, if it's a parked bus, that's not a problem. But if yeah. it's barreling down the road at 45 miles an hour, then it is a problem. And we make the connection that if I do this, that'll happen. And we don't always have direct evidence to support these connections, but we make them nonetheless. And that's great for, you know, staying alive, 
but not so great for getting a good score on the LSAT. So we make no assumptions about this stuff. Okay. But what we can say is that our activities, smoking, drinking, exercise, can have an effect on our incidence of, uh, what is it, heart attack. Mm -hmm. Totally clear? Yeah, I think so. So since I can draw that connection, as I go into answer choices, that's what I'm looking for, you know? I mean, I have something in mind. The two bits of the passage that, that join up is likely to yield my answer. All right, answer choices that you want to talk about. Well, I don't like A. Why not? Because um, if, okay, so if a person has low blood cholesterol, then that person's risk of fatal heart disease is low. It could be, you could have low blood cholesterol, but maybe factors that weren't listed could contribute to fatal heart disease. Right? Yeah. So And, yeah, and, okay. and, and notice how they've done, like, um, this is a little bit like what I call proportion confusion. Because we do know that if you have lower cholesterol than I have, then your risk of a heart attack is lower than mine is. Mm -hmm. We know that. Because the passage said, higher the cholesterol, higher the risk of heart attack. But that does not mean that because you've got a lower cholesterol level and there are for a lower risk, that you then have a low risk. Okay. Like maybe, you know, you have, uh, 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 I, I have a higher cholesterol level and I have a 65% of dying from a heart attack, 65% chance of dying from a heart attack. You have a lower cholesterol level than me and you have only a 60% chance of dying from a heart attack. That to me does not sound like a low risk of yeah, dying from a heart okay. attack. Yes. And there's a difference between the comparative, you know, presented in the passage and the absolute presented in this answer choice. Mm -hmm. And one quick way that you could have kind of shortcutted this is that that big word if in uh, answer choice A, if the person has low blood cholesterol, that sets up more load-bearing language, you know. If you're going to tell me that if this happens, then that other thing will happen, that means this first thing was big enough to guarantee the latter thing. And this is going back to what you said. Just because you have low blood cholesterol doesn't mean you have a low risk of heart attack. Maybe you have low cholesterol, but you also, uh, I don't know what you do to make your heart disease risk higher, but maybe you do something else, right? And so saying if this then that you're putting a lot of pressure on the this and what i'm saying is that it's unlikely that we have been given enough evidence to prove that the this in if this then that is enough to guarantee the that that makes sense yeah, so can we almost always then exclude that answer choice yeah and exclude but, is probably a little too strong for what i'm doing but i'm it's close to that like i would skip over it i would certainly skip over it in my first reading just because the word if hmm. cool. but if i haven't read it i can't mark it off like i can't say this is wrong if i sure. haven't even read it yeah. but what i can do and what i think you should do is skip over it okay so i'm skipping over oh a. you know what and i want to okay go ahead all right answer choice b the smoking can entail as great a risk. I'm going to skip over that. It's not that it's impossible for us to prove that, but if you're going to prove that this thing is as big as that thing, if you're going to prove a comparative response, then we have to have, first of all, a scale, some way of assessing 
the uh, magnitude of the risk for both smoking and for whatever the other thing was. Second of all, we have to uh, actually measure both things on that scale and give me the numbers. And it's just unlikely that we've done that. In order to say that this is as big as that, we have to be able to measure both things and we have to have a scale to measure both things. Is it possible to do? Yes, of course it's possible. Is it likely that we've done it in this passage? No, it's not. It's not ever likely that we've done it. Does that make sense? Uh, yes. All right, so I want you to be aware of the, the unlikelihood that the comparative response is right as an answer to an inference question. Okay. All right. Ooh, high cholesterol diet is a principal cause of death in America. Uh, does that, I don't. The most important word there is principle. Um, okay. It's super well, we unlikely. In the same that. way that the comparative response is unlikely to show me that this one thing is the principal cause, it's unlikely. Because in order to show it, what you'd have to do is say, this is the principal cause. And here's what they're trying to do with answer choice C. We have been told that heart disease, in the third sentence, heart disease kills more North Americans than any other single cause. Mm-hmm. Um, two things that are tricky about that. Uh, first of all, and I'm not sure how much weight to put on this first thing. To know that it kills more than any other single cause doesn't necessarily mean much. You know, imagine that a million people die. Let's make the numbers easier. Imagine that a hundred people die every year. Okay. And out of those hundred people, there are, um, 70 different causes of death right? 70 different causes mm -hmm. for those 100 people. And cause A caused five deaths. And cause B killed four people. And cause C killed three people. And cause D killed another two. And cause E killed another two. Mm -hmm. And F killed another two. And then all the rest of them just killed one person each. Gotcha. That could totally be true. In which case, cause A is the single largest cause but, but is it the principal cause of death? No, it killed 5% of the people. Gotcha. So that's, that's the first thing. And the second thing is that we're not even talking about high cholesterol in that middle sentence. We said heart disease mm -hmm. kills more. We don't know that heart disease is always the result of high cholesterol. Okay. All right. So, and all of that is contained kind of neatly in the word principal. You know, to prove that something is the principle, is the most important thing, oh, requires a lot of additional information that gotcha. we probably didn't get. So C is correct. Moving on. <laughs> yes, my I work here is done. I anything you said. I can tell okay. that I've done a good yes, job. thank you. Uh, okay, so the only way that smoking increases... I'm going to stop you right there. The only way? We've been asked what we can prove. I don't have to do anything it, with these I know. tips. <laughs> there is almost... No, I'm, I was going to say there's almost no way, and that's not true, but it's so unlikely that we have proved in four or five lines of text that there is only one way to achieve an effect. I mean, in order to prove that there's only one way to do something, you've got to either rule out every other possible way of doing it, mm -hmm. which is... You know, almost inconceivably difficult, or you just have to say, hey, there's only one way of doing this, in which case the answer would be probably too easy. Okay. I mean, if they said there's only one cure, then okay, there is only one cure, but 
do you really expect to see that as an answer choice? No. No. Ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, uh, All right. So okay, answer so choice E. I like E. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good one. Yeah. Wow. It's 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 as well, though you got it some is, sort of strange also, intuition. So, um, yeah. Yeah. It's less. Uh, what's the word? Exact or. It's, That's it, it's exactly. It's got a vague sort of, yeah. I call it mushy or soft, okay. you know, as, a, as opposed to the aggressive load-bearing language of these mm-hmm. other answer choices. I mean, the risk can be altered. What? That doesn't changes. say anything. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say how we're going to alter it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't say how much we're going to alter it. It just, it doesn't say that we're going to alter it. Just that we can. And we can do it by certain changes. Look how mushy and soft that is. I love everything about the structure of this answer choice. And, um, and it is right, not necessarily because it has that right structure. Mm-hmm. It's right because we can prove it. But the fact that we can prove it almost requires that it have this kind of soft, mushy structure. So... E says the risk of fatal heart attack can be altered by certain changes in lifestyle. Well, what do we know about the risk of heart attack? The higher cholesterol, the higher your risk. What do we know about cholesterol? It is affected by smoking, drinking, and exercise. So we know absolutely that there are three, at least three, lifestyle changes that you can make that will alter your risk of heart attack. We can prove that E is true. Beautiful is really the only word for it, isn't it? <laughs> All right. Uh, Good. Okay. Good. Anything else to say about this? No. All right. So number seven. Uh, we will start with a question. What would you say this question is asking us? Which one of the following is asking which one of the following most accurately describes the flaw in the skeptic's reasoning? <laughs> so where Incessant. where are they making um like yeah where is there where do they ask? What are they missing? Yeah, what are they missing? Yeah, oh. It's essentially the same as number five, an assumption on which the argument depends. Mm-hmm. You know, the flaw in the argument. There's only two ways in the, in the universe that an argument could be flawed. Uh, either it gives you false information. It starts from the premise that the sky is green. And then no matter where you go from there, it's a flawed argument. The sky isn't green. Yeah. Um, so false information, or else it just doesn't provide you enough information. Mm-hmm. And this whole test is a test of reasoning, not of like research. Mm-hmm. So we're never going to have to wonder about whether or not any of the evidence they've given us is false. It's never false. Everything they tell us is true. Everything they tell us. So... The only way for this argument to be bad is if the arguer has left out some information. Okay. So that means the same thing as we were talking about in number five. You know, she has assumed something, this arguer. All right. So a recap of the argument. Debbie's a magician. Of course she is. And Why do you assume she's a girl? I'm just wondering. (laughs) I know. You're right. You're right. I'm going to fight the matriarchy on this one. They can't tell me that Debbie's a girl's name. I know some male Marians, you know. Um, All right. But you know what it is? Is we don't have a gender-neutral singular pronoun. And it's very difficult for me to use the grammatically incorrect they 
when I want to say he or she. And he or she is cumbersome. Mm -hmm. We need, so here's what it is, America. We need a gender neutral, singular, and plural pronoun. So provide me that and I'll start using it. Until then, they're all she's. And this will be the way in which I fight the patriarchy. All All right. right. So there you go. That's why I'm assuming that Debbie is a she. I like that. Um... So in Debbie's Magic Act, the volunteer supposedly selects a random card, looks at it, and replaces it, and then Debbie reveals the card okay. as if by magic. It's an illusion, Michael. Yeah, Is that pretty I know. good? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Can so, we just quote Horse Development, please, instead? <laughs> we can do that. So we've got this skeptic, um, you know, because there's always a skeptic. Everyone's a critic. Mm-hmm. Conducts three trials. First, the skeptic videotapes Debbie and doesn't find any sleight of hand. Does Second, she know she's being videotaped? I don't know. In some states, that would be illegal. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, but this is skeptic. Skeptic don't care. Rules don't apply to the skeptic. Uh, videotaped and find no sleight of hand. Second, the skeptic gives a standard deck of cards, so we're sure that there's no, um, you know, no tomfoolery mm-hmm. with the cards it's not a trick deck gotcha. and the third time the skeptic herself selects the card so the f- so you know and the skeptic is a skeptic she is yeah. not a confederate she would never help debbie in her magic sure. so three trials and then we it and then we've concluded that debbie didn't use any sleight of hand didn't use a trick deck and didn't use a uh, you know a fake volunteer a plant What's wrong with his argument? Uh, a lot of silence. (laughs) (laughs) I honestly, I did kind of zone out. I guess it would be that those are the only possible ways that they could do this. Okay. That would absolutely be, that would absolutely be the right answer in many arguments that look a lot like this. But in order for that to be the flaw of the argument, what we would have to have is the skeptic saying, look, I've ruled out the trick deck, I've ruled out sleight of hand, and I've ruled out a confederate. Therefore, my conclusion is Debbie it's is magic. magic. Yeah. But that was not the conclusion. And, th- and that's important because, you know, that will be the conclusion. Lots of other arguments. You know, I've ruled out these three things. Therefore, there's only one explanation left. And if that were the argument, what you said would be exactly correct. But this argument, and I think it's hard because of that. You know, it's harder. Because uh, this, this argument didn't conclude that Debbie's made of magic. Yeah. You know, it, it only concluded the much smaller conclusion that it wasn't any one of these three things. Okay. So that makes it trickier, right? Yeah. So, but then it still can be anything else. It could be. Yeah. But it doesn't matter. Okay. okay. Right? I just... I mean, if, if Debbie is magic, that doesn't hurt our argument. You know, that would just help our argument. Mm-hmm. And we don't need to assume that Debbie is magical in order to make this claim. I really think it's harder. I mean, I, I know that it's been years, you know, since I, that I've been looking at this mm-hmm. argument. And, and at first, I certainly found it very difficult. Because it, for, and for the same reason that all of us find anything difficult on this test, usually, which is, I shouldn't say always, but usually, which is that we're making the same kinds of assumptions that the argument's making. Okay. And here, that assumption is essentially that Debbie was using only one 
she could have only been using one of those three methods. Because here's what we did. We did one trial, it ruled out uh, the sleight of hand. You know, we videotaped her, no sleight of hand. We did a second trial, and that rules out the trick deck. You know, we used a real deck. We did a third trial, and that ruled out the accomplice. And what that means is that in the first trial, Debbie didn't use sleight of hand. And in the second trial, she didn't use a trick deck. And in the third trial, she didn't use an accomplice. But that doesn't mean that she didn't use any of those things. In the first trial, when she was videotaped, you know what she did? She used a trick deck. So the videotape didn't catch it. You couldn't see the bottoms of the cards. She didn't use sleight of hand the first time. And the second time when you used a standard deck, that was the time that Debbie used sleight of hand. And the third time when we know she wasn't using an accomplice because it was the skeptic herself, you know, that was the time that Debbie used the trick deck. Mm -hmm. Just because she didn't use each of them in each of the trials doesn't mean she didn't use any of those methods. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And to me, the thing that's really difficult about this question is that it doesn't conform to like any expected patterns of flawed reasoning on the test. Um, because I think each one of those patterns may possibly, at least conceivably, be as difficult as this. The thing is we get used to them. We see them over and over. And by seeing them over and over, they become familiar. And then it's not difficult because it's familiar. And we recognize it instead of having to analyze it. This, I don't recognize this shit. I mean, I don't remember ever seeing anything exactly like this. I remember seeing lots of arguments like the one that you thought was happening here. You know, mm -hmm. well, we ruled out these three, so it must be something else. But that didn't happen here, you know? And that's what makes a question hard for me on this test, is when it doesn't conform to a pattern or doesn't conform neatly to a pattern. Uh, but does all that make sense? Mm -hmm. All right. Then the flaw in this argument is essentially that this skeptic has assumed that Debbie had to use the same method during every trial. Mm -hmm. Totally sensible? Yeah. All right. And when we look at it on those grounds, um, let's take a look at these answer choices. So A is correct because it said exactly what you said, which is she did not always use the same method to achieve her effect. Yeah. And when looking through the other choices, I feel like I can pick up on where they're the information is wrong or can be and yeah proven. And we'll point out that answer choice D looks exactly like your very first answer. And it's so tricky because, I mean, yes, that is absolutely uh, an, a correct characterization of what I refer to as the false choice flaw, the assumption that if you rule out these three, there can't be anything else. But again, that wasn't what we did here. We did not conclude that it must be something else. We only concluded that it wasn't one of those three things. So we just didn't fail to consider the possibility she used something else. We left that possibility wide open. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, that was that was fun. Question seven was fun. Anything else you want to say about question seven? Yeah. Remind me not to hit you up for fun things to do. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> that, was, that was a little hurtful. All right. Well, I am going to hit you up for more fun things to do next week. Um, probably questions eight, nine, and ten is my Ooh. guess. Thank you for uh, gracing us with your presence. Thank you for inviting me that sounded very sincere enjoyed it all right
like I'm growing as a person. We'll see you next week. All right.